Hey gorgeous, are you ready to turn on the light switch of your soul and live an authentic, radiant, unapologetically pleasure-filled life? I'm Penny Vandersloos. I empower women like you in their midlife who are struggling to love their body and prioritize pleasure, play and passion and invite them to discover their powerful, untapped sensual, sexual and feminine energy so that they can feel confident, free and in love with their body and life. I'm a pleasure activist and adventurer, feminine empowerment coach and conscious creative and connector, a wife, a mother of two teens and host of this podcast, Turned On, Wild, Free and Sexy in Your Midlife. I've poured my heart and soul and an abundance of love into the creation of this podcast in Melbourne, Nam, Australia. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of these lands, the Wurundjeri people, and pay my respect to the elders past, present and emerging. Now, it is time to get turned on. Hello, welcome Womanjika. Thanks for being here. This is episode 37 with Kate Boyle. I've asked her back to come and talk to us about pumping up the iron for optimal energy. If you didn't hear the previous episode with Kate, I'll introduce you to Kate. She is passionate about holistic health and great movement. She runs her online movement and health platform, Mind Movement Health. Having been an elite level dancer, she gravitated to a career in health due to her love of movement and wanting to get a better understanding of nutrition to improve overall health and performance. She has extensive training and qualifications in Pilates and various other movement modalities. A qualified nutritionist and food scientist, Kate has worked within the health and nutrition field for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping everyone move well, eliminate pain, live a balanced life and make being healthy easy. So welcome back, Kate. Thanks. I'm super excited to be coming back again on the podcast today. Well, we realized how much women's energy is such a big part. I mean, being turned on sort of even suggests that we're kind of like an energy source and how do we turn on our energy source? And that I was noticing a lot of women talking about their iron levels and wondering, do they need an iron infusion and do we need iron tablets? And I guess being perimenopausal and menopausal knowing that our menstrual cycle is completing as well how does that impact our energy levels as well so grateful for you being here to share what you know and how we can have an awareness of our iron and how that impacts our energy yeah it's very common in women it's super common it's one of the most common things around the world that women have to deal with and that's anemia which technically it's classified as being deficient in iron but we're going to go through that a little bit more because it's most probably not that you're deficient in iron it's actually that you're not able to utilize the iron which i think is a a very different classification i've been iron deficient many times over the years and I've had iron infusions. And a few years ago, my doctor said to me, we can't just keep having iron infusions, Kate. And I had heavy periods. I'd had babies, was deficient in iron. She goes, you just can't, can't do this. You're going to have to go see a gynecologist and maybe have a look at having an ablation. 
And I was like, that's pretty radical to say that I'm going to have to go in for a surgery. And just because apparently I'm not absorbing iron very well, but she didn't have any other option for me. She wrote out the referral and she said, here you go. And I was like, I have no intention of following through on, on having an operation. There has to be other ways. Being a nutritionist, even in our training, we get taught if we are low in iron, then we need to look at iron supplementation. We need to increase our iron intake. But as we're going to discuss today, there is more to it. Oh, okay. So tell us, what are some of the things that as a woman we would identify with if we were to have low iron? Go back to basics. What are some of the things we would notice? So generally it's fatigue. Fatigue is a really big one and feeling really tired so you might not even be able to get to the afternoon you might even wake up in the morning and never sort of feel like you've had a really good night's sleep so you wake up and you are tired and you're tired throughout the whole day so tiredness and fatigue is really the big ones and Um, can I just ask is this like a mental tiredness or a physical body or both both so it can be definitely be both but physical is a big aspect of it as well. So you might wake up and think, oh, I should go do a workout, but you just physically do not have the energy to to do it. So a combination, but on top of that, you might be pale. So you'd never feel flush. You might be cold, especially cold hands and feet is a big one too. You may have digestive issues and things that may be popping up and that can be related back to not absorbing that iron. Fatigue is the main one that women will tend to notice. And a lot of the time it doesn't get picked up, especially if you've got younger kids, because you're not sleeping very well. You've got disruptive sleep. You're in a busy time of your life. But a lot of doctors now will say, let's do a blood test and check out your iron levels and then see what's going on. I don't know if this is a good time to mention this, but maybe we throw it into the conversation. I remember having my iron levels tested. and One of the things that was identified was my iron storage was low. So we've got this ideal range of having iron stores. And then when you're on the low range, you can still function and maybe not even have symptoms. But what would happen then is if I was to be sick or my body gets run down, I don't have any stores to draw on. So is that also something that we need to be aware of? Yeah. So if you're deficient in iron, your immunity is going to be lower. So you're going to pick up the cough and the cold more easily. It's going to affect you more. So you might find someone you know had picked up a cold in two days and they were back at it, but you feel like it takes a week or more to recover. So you tend to have a lower functioning immune system and you tend to pick up more bugs that are going around too. So Definitely. But when it comes to iron, most doctors will look at what we call serum ferritin. And if you drop below 30, that's what is the trigger to being able to go get an iron infusion. So that sort of range, I think it's about 30 to 200, but if it drops below 30, that's like the, the red flag that says, all right, yep, your iron is now too low. You need to go get an iron infusion. But the caveat of this is when we're looking at iron, we actually need to look at three different iron levels. We need to look at the serum ferritin. We need to also look at our overall serum iron. And then we also need to look at our hemoglobin count, so our red blood cells. So the majority of our iron is actually stored in our red blood cells. But when they take your blood and you do your blood test and then they centrifuge it, the red blood cells will sink and then the serum ferritin or the serum will go up and they'll test that serum ferritin and go, oh, you're below 30, you need 
to have an iron infusion, but they actually haven't tested, they haven't looked at your hemoglobin levels. And if your hemoglobin levels are fine, then it's not that you are low in iron, it's that you're not actually utilizing the iron that you have in your body. So putting more in is not going to help you. Exactly, because you're not absorbing it. So again, as we were talking in the last podcast, if people go back and listen to that, we were talking about finding that root cause and that Band-Aid. If you're not absorbing the iron, and this is what happens if people are listening in and they've had an iron infusion, and this was me, you have an iron infusion and you go get your blood test to check what it is and it pumps back up to 185 and they're like, awesome, you're good to go. And then my doctor's like, come back in six months and we'll see you know, what's happening. And it's dropped to 115. And then six months after that, it might have dropped to below 30 already, or it might be, you know, 55. And then three months after that, you're below 30 again. And they go, okay, go back for another iron infusion now. So we are continuing to pump iron in our body, but it's not from lack of iron that we're feeling all these symptoms. It's from not being able to access and utilize the iron we have stored in our body. Or that we might be getting from our environment, right? Yeah. And so generally and this caveats for everything and and this isn't specific individual advice you need to go speak to your doctor and and have all your bloods done but one of the factors that can happen is if we are being told we're low in iron our serum ferritin is low and we're having all these symptoms we actually might not have enough copper because we need copper and retinol to be able to utilize our iron iron stores and move it from the liver and recycle the iron. And if we don't have that in our diet, then it's actually an impairment in the iron recycling process, not an iron deficiency. Oh, okay. So where do we get copper from? Where do we get <laughs> copper from? <laughs> so copper comes from shellfish, organ meats. They're two really big sources. A lot of people don't tend to eat organ meats anymore. So that's like your kidneys and things like yeah, that. Liver, kidneys, heart. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, which some people love, but other people don't. So that's one of the big sources. Um, we also get it from dark leafy veggies and whole grains and nuts and seeds. So that sounds like, yeah, well, I, you know, I eat lots of those. I'll have enough copper. But unfortunately, nowadays, our soils are so lacking in the minerals and nutrients compared to 50 years ago. So the amount of copper that we're getting from these foods is a lot lower than what we actually need. So unless we are regularly having intakes of organ meats and shellfish and, and we're really bumping up those whole grains, nuts and seeds and dark leafy greens, we're most probably not getting enough copper. And if you are having these symptoms and you've been told that you're anemic, then it is definitely something to start looking into. Um, on top of the copper, we need to check out our retinol levels. So that's vitamin A, different to beta carotene, different form. And we get retinol again from our organ meats. So not very common in our diet. Eggs, grass-fed butter and ghee are other great sources as well. But with the processing in our food system, most people are not eating grass-fed butter and ghee and they're just eating a regular egg every couple of days. And again, it's just not quite enough. You can get your copper and that tested by your doctor when you go get your blood test, but looking at your copper levels and then also supporting with retinol, vitamin A in the diet. And if you can't get enough, then you can look at supplementation as well. So would that be if you were to have an iron supplement, likely to be in that supplement or is that something additional no so this is where we come back to the conundrum at the start where you go and get your blood test and they go oh, 
Are your ferritins really low? You can either have an iron infusion if you're below the 30. Otherwise, you need to look at an iron supplement. And I was on iron supplements for years. I'd be a nutritionist. I'll get the liquid form. That'll be absorbed more easier. You tend to get less constipation than if you're having a tablet. I've got to have my vitamin C because that helps the absorption of iron. Little did I know, because I fell into this copper category, I had plenty of iron in my body. I just wasn't able to access it. I wasn't utilizing it because it was getting stuck and stored in my liver because I didn't have enough copper and retinol to help that iron recycling system do its job. So this is where I'd be on my iron supplement, go back to that blood test three months later. Your iron's still dropping. You're on an iron supplement. Yep, because I don't actually need any more iron. I actually need the why minerals the to absorb system? it why are we going to doctors who are not telling us this I find it's this not bizarre. very well known so I had to dig into research and there are some really great researchers in the iron field but their research is not making it to the doctor the doctor just goes oh yeah iron's low take an iron supplement bump it back up and that may work for some people. But if you're in the boat where you're like, yeah, I keep taking this iron supplement, then I keep having this iron infusion and nothing is changing, it just keeps dropping, then we need to look at our gut. We need to look at what our gut health is doing. Are we absorbing these minerals to help with that iron recycling system? And are we even getting enough of these minerals? And generally, if you're having these same things where the iron keeps dropping, then most people are going to be deficient in copper and retinol. And what else could be going on for someone? So say that wasn't potentially their situation. Their body can absorb it. What are other ways to sort of keep your iron at healthy levels? So we also need to look at if you're taking zinc, a lot of people take zinc, but zinc competes with copper. So if you're on a zinc supplement, then that is going to deplete the copper in your gut microbiome because they compete. So that can be another way that you're contributing to having an iron issue without even realizing it. So you can stop the zinc supplement and then see what happens. You may find that then you're absorbing copper better and so things stable out. But if you're not taking a zinc supplement, then increasing your copper intake may help. Looking at our stress levels and our gut health. So our gut health, as we've talked about before, is so important. So if we are not digesting the food and absorbing the minerals from our food, then we're going to end up being depleted essentially. So, you know, making sure that we're having a diet that's high in fiber, that we've got pre and probiotic foods. So some of our prebiotic foods are things like garlic and artichokes and bananas and apples and oats, these gut feeding foods. And then our probiotic foods are our sauerkraut and our kimchi and our yogurt and our tofu and tempeh. So these combination, the prebiotics, feed the probiotic bacteria, and then we can have a really healthy, flourishing gut. So food diversity is important. We tend to kind of shop and buy the same foods over and over, the same weekly shop. But what we want to do is try to buy different foods. So if you don't usually ever buy eggplant, buy eggplant. Or if you don't usually ever buy sweet potato, chuck that in this week. So different foods give us different prebiotic particles for those probiotics to eat. So if we are only feeding the same ones over and over, then we're going to have a whole nother bunch that aren't flourishing in our gut. So the more food diversity we have, then the better our gut health is going to be. 
I mean, this pre and probiotic thing, I haven't ever got my head around this. I wonder if people might be the same. It's not necessarily in the same meal that you're eating these foods or it is. Well, you can, but you don't have to. So when you think about pre and probiotics, I always think of Pac-Man. So think of the probiotic as the Pac-Man coming along and the little dots that he's eating are the prebiotics. So the prebiotics feed the probiotics. They feed the Pac-Man. So if you have probiotics in your gut and say you're eating the sauerkraut and the yogurt, but you're not feeding it anything to flourish, then those microbes are going to die. So that's when the prebiotics, the garlic and the artichokes and the bananas and the apples are going to feed those probiotic bacteria and then help with a healthy gut. So you need- Putting those in your diet pretty regularly, then a Pac-Man comes along, a (laughs) Pac-Woman. Yeah. (laughs) She comes along and is like, oh, hello, she's eating a banana and an artichoke and I've got Yeah, and I'm going to flourish. Or they also talk about your gut microbiome being a bit like a rainforest. So if we're feeding it these prebiotics, we're going to have this flourishing happening in our gut. But if we're feeding our gut sugar, processed foods, you know, chemicals, additives, seed oils, then that rainforest is going to start to die because it's not the food that those plants or those microbes need to eat. They're actually damaging. They're actually going to help the bad gut bacteria that contribute to bloating, constipation, diarrhea and disease start to flourish and then that's when we may start to feel those types of symptoms or heartburn or our blood sugar levels elevate and we get pre-diabetes and we have that sort of flow-on effect. What other things can people be doing to have access to this energy source that iron gives us? The main things are dialing in that gut health And then making sure that if we can include some of these foods in our diet, fantastic. If you are like, yeah, I'm not touching organ meats and I'm one of those people that I'm really not a fan, they're not my taste, then you can definitely look into supplementing. If you start to bring this up with your doctor, I will say they may look at you and be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's exactly what my doctor did. And then after seeing me, she went off and did a bit of research and she said, oh, that's amazing. I'm going to start to use that now with my other patients. So be aware that it's this sort of information about copper and retinol isn't very well known, but it is reputable. If you go on the web, you will find information about it. So definitely do your own research, speak to your doctor. If you can't get these foods in your diet, do look at extra supplementation and always refer back to your blood test too. So they're going to give you a good indication, but on top of that, it's going to be the way you feel. So if you feel your energy levels start to lift that tightness start to drift away you know you have less brain fog you start to digest food better then they're all signals telling you that you're actually absorbing and utilizing that iron now so much better because you've made those changes so really if you are low in iron make sure you take iron and then look at vitamin c so my tip with vitamin c is vitamin c is essential and it can really help us absorb iron But when people are supplementing with vitamin C, they often take ascorbic acid. Now, ascorbic acid is not the same as vitamin C and it will not help you uptake more iron because one, you probably don't need more iron. You actually need more uptake of copper and ascorbic acid stops or blocks the absorption of copper. So 
If you think about a whole food vitamin C, so a whole food vitamin C coming from an orange that you're eating, you know, or high sources, kamu kamu berries, goji berries, you can get supplements that are whole food vitamin Cs. They are like a car. So they're fully functioning. They've got the engine, they're running. Ascorbic acid is like the frame of the car. It doesn't have an engine. It's got some good parts in it, but we can't utilize it like we would a running car. So if you are supplementing with ascorbic acid because you are low in iron, one, swap over to taking a whole food vitamin C. They're a little bit harder to find, but they're definitely out there. And otherwise look at getting your copper and your retinol levels tested and you might find you don't need that excess vitamin C because you actually have enough iron in your system in the first place. One question I have is, it sounds to to me like you found a doctor that you can work with. And I know that that's definitely a challenge with some women to find someone who they can work with or who's open to a conversation and listening and what is women's health <laughs> at this time of their life. Would, would you have any suggestions around that? Are there other practitioners like naturopaths or nutritionists or other people that can still give them access to this blood test or is it really only through a, a doctor? Generally with blood tests, you do need to get your referrals from your GP, but you can go in and request and say, my iron levels have been really low. I'm going to go off and see a naturopath or a nutritionist or a dietitian. She wants up to date. So whenever I'm working with someone, I'll be like, I want your most recent blood test so we can see where you're at. And you can request and say, she's requested that I'd like my iron levels checked. When they test your iron, they will do serum iron, ferritin and, and hemoglobin. It's always there. The doctor's just don't, not all doctors, but some doctors just don't refer to the other levels. They just look at serum ferritin and you can say, and she'd also like to know my um, minerals. So can I please request a copper and a, a retinol done within my blood test? So you still have to go through your GP, but I found that way when I've worked with other practitioners in the past, or even when I'm requesting it from my client, you can ask them what you want and then pass on those blood test results to whoever you're working with. Yeah. So in the request they can cc other practitioners or you as a patient can get a record of it yeah so you as a patient and it's a really good question because a lot of people don't think but as a patient myself i always always get my results my blood tests so then you can look back over them or if you're going to see especially if you go to see a a holistic doctor that wants to look at your past you can go back to 2008 and see what your blood test results was then and then you know you might find your iron levels were fine until you hit 2020 so what changed in 2020 did you move house are you now being exposed to a whole lot of mold and detoxification systems not working very well and therefore your gut health is suffering So it's really powerful to have those records. We don't think about having them, but you can definitely request them from your doctor. They'll either print you out a copy or you can get them usually to email them through to you as well. So you can uh, put them on file, but um, everybody should definitely be keeping their blood test results and keeping previous ones. Because sometimes when we see levels changing, it'll often correlate It might be high levels of stress or it might be mold toxicity or it could be a heavy metal toxicity or something that's changed and it's good to be able to to relate that back to what may have changed. Okay, that's a cool tip. I wasn't aware that we could actually get a history from our medical files. That's really cool. 
So I'm feeling quite inspired to, well, not only share this with other people, because I think this is something, as you're highlighting, that even our system of supportive practitioners aren't necessarily across and that if we're empowered and and know the information that we can take action and then also be aware of different supplements like you said vitamin c could actually be undoing some of the the good that we work doing yeah yeah acid and then the same with the zinc and copper and stuff like that so we are this beautiful balanced system aren't we and there's some really subtle moves that can really upset that apple cart yeah well the other interesting thing is over the years when we are menstruating it's actually good that we're losing iron because we don't want to have too high levels of iron otherwise that can be toxic too so they actually are trying to link now generally men men live a shorter lifespan than women and they're saying that part of that is because women have a menstrual cycle and so we lose iron every month they actually think that contributes to our longer lifespan so that's actually pretty cool to know too that yes we want enough iron but having too much iron that's going to be stored in our tissues is just as toxic as having not enough iron so again it's kind of finding that balance in health same with our gut health same with our mineral and and metal intake and that as well so I think that's another thing that women don't think about so they actually say that when our later years when we've gone through menopause and we're not menstruating anymore that donating blood can actually be a great thing for helping to lower our risk of disease because we're lowering the iron levels in our body Oh, interesting. And it goes back to in nature we would have had times where we didn't eat and we fasted because we had to wait for that next feed. And so our body would have dropped in levels of all these different minerals. Whereas now we have 24-hour access to food. We don't ever give ourselves those breaks, I guess. And that's at a really interesting point of maybe considering blood donation as a postmenopausal woman. Yeah. And also, if you think about it too, hunt and gather at times, they were hunting down animals They didn't have refrigerators and freezers and long life products. They had to eat the whole animal. They ate organ meats. Right up to the early 1900s, organ meats were really quite popular because you didn't waste food. There wasn't enough. It was only since the modification and building up of the industrialization of our food system that we've moved away from those organ meats, which are really nutritious for us and tend to want to choose the better cuts of meat, so to speak. But they're usually not as tough to chew so we don't get that jaw work which is vital for helping our teeth staying straight and the reason why we have a lot more sort of malformed jaws and teeth nowadays because we're not having to really chew our food really hard and work those muscles of the jaw you know and then it's had the flow-on effect that we're not getting those nutrients from those organ meats and so back in the day iron deficiency wouldn't have even been a thing because they would have been eating the whole animal so nowadays there has been more of a rise of veganism and vegetarianism which is fantastic but you're not getting that access to higher sources of iron that heme iron that is more absorbable or if you're eating plant-based foods and we know that our soils now are more depleted in those minerals you may not be getting enough minerals to help absorb the iron you are getting that's for me to consider because i'm in that boat but i definitely think yes the 
being aware of what you're eating is a, is is really critical and you've made that really clear for us so thank you so it, women that might be interested in learning more or, or can come to you or tell us how they can work with you if this is something that they feel they need support in so I do nutrition consults with people and work with people one-on-one. And then I also have an online movement and health membership, which we chatted about in the last podcast that we did. So we have recipes in there. We do masterclasses and we do Q and A. So if people have questions about iron or copper or that type of thing, then they can definitely ask. But what I will say on that sort of copper side is that if people start looking into taking copper, the best supplement to look into is copper biglycinate. So it's copper with two glycinates attached to it. And that is the most absorbable form for our system. So definitely chat and write that down and and speak to your healthcare practitioner. And then if you don't get much help from them, maybe seek out a nutritionist or a naturopath or look online and, and check out some research and see if maybe this is a possibility for you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing what you've learned and what you know about this, because clearly it's not everyday knowledge. And for women, you know, this can be kind of a little overwhelming to know where to start and what might be happening for them when you go to someone and you're expecting that they'll be able to support you and to learn that, oh, no, you're fine, but you're still feeling low in energy and what's going on. So, yeah. And like me, you end up back in that doctor's office every so often when you just hit that point of fatigue, but you're like, I can't keep going on like this. Like my iron must be low and you get tested again and the same things happen again and the cycle goes over and over. And then your doctor says, oh, well, that's enough. What are we going to do? So I'll do whatever you because you're the professional, but it might not be the option you want to take. Like for me, if I don't have to have any unnecessary surgery, I'm not going to have a surgery that could be pretty major and it's going to change other things. So even having an ablation, that's going to change my hormones. That's going to change everything. And I'm going to come out with a whole new set of issues and it might've most probably, as I found out, not fixed the original issue. I think that's where you find trusted professionals you can work with, but then also do your own research as well to find out because People, you know, there are gaps in people's knowledge and especially with GPs, they're expected to know so much about everything that sometimes they don't and that's okay. And then that's where we need to reach out to a nutritionist or a naturopath or whoever you're working with to find out some of that information that can support you as well. Yeah. And I think that's a really good takeaway too, that finding someone that is aware of the type of things that are relevant to your body. So, you know, if you're a woman in midlife, that someone who practices and supports women in midlife will be a really good place to go, not the GP that has a specialist interest in something else altogether. And I think it's also a really good reminder to be curious and not just accept, oh, well, that's, I mean, I had the same thing with my back years ago where there was some damage and the surgeon was like, well, we can just fix that in surgery without actually going, but why did I have the problem in the first place? And by going back to the problem and knowing what are my options, letting my body heal naturally, I didn't have the surgery. So like you, I felt really hesitant to to take that really invasive step. And I think there's a lot of solutions that we're being given that 
feel like they're going to fix it, but they're actually just band-aiding over the top of something that's, unless you get to the source, you're really not going to, it won't disappear. It's still there. No. Well, that's it. And unfortunately, nowadays with our health system, they're under so much pressure. They're understaffed. Most doctor's appointments are maybe 10 minutes. By the time you go in and you say hello and they say what's wrong, you tell them what's wrong and they want to help you. So they want you to walk out with a fix. So they will say, well, here you go, take this medication. That'll fix the symptom, but it won't fix what's causing the symptom. It just masks the symptom. Something else will then crop up and you'll end up back in the doctor's office and the same cycle happens over again. So it's not to say our system really needs to change. And that's where holistic medicine is actually starting to come through. And they look from when you were born, how were you born? Were you born through a vaginal delivery or a C-section because we know if you're born through a vaginal delivery, you will get a lot of the microbes and that from your mother, which will have a protective layer for your health and your gut. So where did you grow up? Was it in a moldy house? Was it in a house where there was a lot of emotional stress that's now affected how you react and how your cells now react when you're older? So getting those really in-depth histories from people is important because a lot of health stuff that crops up when you're older is actually from things that happened many years ago. And doctors just, they don't have the time to go through that. They just need to give you something they can do in under 10 minutes. So it's our system that needs to start to change. And there are more holistic doctors coming through and the training is coming through, but it's seeking out those people. And they will spend an hour or more with you. If I do a nutrition consult with someone, we usually spend about an hour. By the time I get health history and blood test results and lifestyle things that they're doing currently, one of my recent clients, she was having a lot of trouble with losing weight. One of the biggest things that helped was we reduced her stress level. She was eating well, she was exercising, but we needed to address that layer of stress that was stopping her from losing her weight. And once we started addressing that, the weight's coming off. So I think it really pays to work with people that can spend time with you. And sometimes you need to invest more money because it's more time. But again, if we do it now, it's going to save us so much more money in the long term because we're not going to have those repeat visits to the doctor or those diseases that start to pop up that end up costing you not just money, but time, lifespan, happiness, mobility, being able to do the things you love. Yeah. And more stress. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is it. You're reminding us how these really foundational pieces in our health are worth it. Putting really beautiful whole foods into our body that we know where they're coming from or they've been sourced without chemicals and things like that is worth it. It may feel a bit indulgent at the time, but you're actually putting investment into your longer term health, which will cost you potentially down the tracks. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think too, I go to the the local farmer's market and if you can make those small swaps and the market is definitely cheaper for the organic food than the supermarket is. What you're I will get our meat from the farmer and he's local from Gippsland. I speak to him and I buy his meat. I know where it's come from and it may be a fraction more expensive than the supermarket, but cost of living has gone up so much now that it's really not that much different. And when I look at how much money I'm saving from not buying takeaway foods and eating out because the food we eat at home is so good, then it actually offsets it in the long run. And it probably tastes better. So there's that element too, you're getting 
something that tastes beautiful. And it's, it's part of that circular economy. But back to your point of just doing what you can. Don't feel overwhelmed if that feels a bit too much right now. It's doing what you can and being aware. And I think I'm so grateful for you to being here sharing not only inspiration to take some of these actions, but some of that knowledge that we're just not really, it's not in the common realm. I realm. was outraged. Realm. Oh, <laughs> there's know? a lot of things that outrage me. So this Yeah, is, yeah. I really was. When I walked away from that doctor and I was like, she's telling me to go in and have an invasive surgery because that's my only option apparently. It felt like she was just giving up. It was just like, oh, well, too bad. That's what you have to do. And I'm like, no, as a woman, I can support my body. There, there has to be another way. So there's always another way. And sometimes it's just finding that way. And it can, it can take time. I went through an anemic journey, I don't know, for 20 plus years. And I'm a nutritionist before I started delving deeper into this because we weren't even taught this in our courses, I think sometimes, and then also new evidence, you know, new research comes out. We've changed so much years ago. Everything used to be low fat and high carb because fat was a bad. And now we've had more research and we know actually sugar is contributing to the majority of diseases. So research does change over time. And if you can start to learn, you might find something new. You may have gone down this journey a few years ago, but now there's something else that they found. Yeah, that's good advice. And there's a lot of amazing resources. I know if you're interested in your gut health or interested in iron, and people are providing lots of beautiful resources out there so that you can do your own work. Like you said, don't just rely on one practitioner who may not be across this or may not be their point of interest. Yeah, exactly. And like we said before, the practitioners, they always want to help you. They're going to help you with the tools that they have. And for a lot of practitioners, that might be restricted time-wise, money-wise, research-wise. Even with Pilates, there's a few doctors in the area that will refer me. And then other clients will go to their doctor and they'll know nothing about Pilates. So it comes back to their own experiences, what they've learned from their clients, trying things and working, and then their level experience of how many patients they've seen over the years. A lot of that sort of data comes from clinical practice. So that can help too. True. Is there anything that you would like to leave women with that we haven't either talked about or you just feel like, I wish they knew this? Well, I think last time we touched on taking that one small step and that can make a big difference. And I think with this podcast is just thinking that you can prioritize yourself and that the answer is there. It's sometimes not where you think. Sometimes we just have to go out of the space to find it. And whether or not that's using your friends, checking in with family or friends that might go through things that are similar, listening to a podcast, reading a book, just look at, you know, your knowledge and, you know, encourage learning to see what else is out there. And I also heard in your answer, it's a bit intuitive. If you feel like there is something else going on, really honor that and listen to that. And don't, don't let someone sort of go, oh, no, you're fine. This, this is the answer. If you feel there's something else, trust that and, and use that as a, a way to, to be guided. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, like I was saying with my doctor, it's like I had enough knowledge to know that something wasn't right. And I had tried the iron route. I tried everything they'd said. I've had the iron infusions. They still weren't working. So there was something there. 
it was just a matter of of working it out and if my doctor wasn't willing to do that work and work that out with me then either I needed to do it or find someone that was willing to do that work with me because there's always a cause it's just peeling off the layers to get to that cause and sometimes it takes longer than we would like but you can find the answer in the end if you know in your body that something's not right please don't just be dismissed and it might feel like you're you're going crazy, but I really want you to know, and I think Gates' example today is a perfect example, that there can be other answers if you can just trust yourself enough to go and look for them. Yeah. And also women, we have menstrual cycles. And when it comes to research, they often don't use women as subjects because our menstrual cycle throws their results out. So research on anything, on heart disease, high cholesterol, blood pressure, even fasting. The majority of it is done on men because they're much more predictable in their hormones. So even a lot of the knowledge that out there is is not done on women because of our menstrual cycles. And then because our menstrual cycles change and fluctuate so much, it's only recently, I would say, that there are more experts coming out, women, female experts that have cycles that are really trying to delve into the menstrual cycle and see how much it affects and how it changes the body. It was shocking for me to learn that our menstrual cycles one of the best indicators of our overall health. So if we're interfering with our menstrual cycle through birth control, we don't actually get a good indicator. So there's a whole lot of stuff around women's health that is frustrating, but I think we've opened the lid a little bit onto what's available and keep sharing this. So if you got something from listening to Kate and I today, please share it or invite others to listen, to learn and understand that there's more to iron levels than we're led to believe or maybe aware of and how that might be affecting your optimal energy. Kate, so grateful for you sharing again today. Thanks so much for having me on. It was great to come back again and do a second part and dive into iron and anemia because it is something that is so prevalent for women, especially, and one that I've had myself. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Let's keep connected. Follow me on social media, Facebook or Instagram at Penny Vandersloos or register for my emails or check me out on my website, pennyvandersloos.com. P-E-N-N-Y-V-A-N-D-E-R-S-L-U-I-S.